Augustine, Pelagius, and Cassian. APC. These three names come up in church history in one of the most famous battles over Bible teaching, over biblical doctrine. Augustine, Pelagius, and Cassian. Now, in your books, you'll find this on pages 24 and 25. And especially at page 25, in the second paragraph, Augustine's influence was especially felt in the Pelagian controversy. I'd like to right now explain to you these three men, but especially Pelagius. And when you are done with this discussion, I want you all to know what Pelagianism is. So however you best take notes or listen or understand, or if you just need to download the lecture and listen to it 10 more times, I want us all to understand what Pelagianism is and be able to give examples today and then understand what Cassianism is and give examples and then tell me what Augustinianism is and give examples. Because we are learning church history so that you will be able to use it. Augustine, Pelagius, and Cassian. Let's begin with Pelagius. Pelagius and Augustine were born in the same year, 354 AD. They lived till almost the same year, 75 years later. We don't know the year that Pelagius died, but we know he lived at least up to 75. Pelagius was a monk. And he was trying to defend his friend Colestius, who wanted to become a pastor. But Colestius believed that there was a big problem in the church. And the problem in the church, can anyone guess what big problems might come in the church by, say, 400 AD, after Constantine, for 80 years has said church and state are the same or very similar. What kinds of problems might you think that would come up? And Colestius had a good attitude. He's really trying to do the right thing. And he's looking at the church saying, I can't believe this. What do you think Colestius saw that made him angry? Try to be more specific. Like people, unregenerate people are leading the church. He saw unregenerate people in the church. They were getting drunk. They were committing adultery. They were thieves and stealers. They were profane. They would laugh and mock at God and then come to church and lead the church and pray in the church. And he thought, what is this? How can this be? He says, you know what? If I were pastor, I would preach against this. And I would tell those people they had to change. And Pelagius said, Colestius should be a pastor. But here's the problem. Colestius believed what we needed was more preaching of what the men should do. 
Coelestius believed that what was needed was a firm hand to tell them, you've got to do this. If you don't do this, you're gone. But it was all law because Coelestius believed that the people could do it. That was the problem. Pelagius endorsed Coelestius to be a pastor, and then it became a big issue. So they had a council, and another council, and a third council, and they asked, what are the doctrinal positions here? And Pelagius came out and opposed his friend Coelestius and said, no, 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 that's what Coelestius believes, but secretly he believed it too. Now I have here in this uh, excellent book by R.C. Sproul a summary of Pelagius' views, and I'd just like to read those here. They're summarized in 18 points by a German theologian, Adolf Harnock, and Sproul puts them here. And let me read five of Pelagius' 18 points. Pelagius believed Adam's children did not inherit natural death. You follow that? So they did not inherit natural death. That's what he believed. Number two, or actually number 11 in this list, but I'm only reading five. Neither Adam's sin nor his guilt was given to his children. Did you follow that? So the first thing I read was, he, Adam did not give death to his children. Second thing, Adam did not give his sin or his guilt to his children. Third thing, he believed that all men are created just like Adam was before the fall. So when you have a baby, the baby comes in just like Adam. Number four, Pelagius believed the grace of God helps us to be good, but it's not necessary. We can be good without the grace of God. And the fifth point that I'm reading tonight is Christ died on the cross chiefly to be a good example for us. Those are five of the 18 points. You can see the whole thing if you'd like. But those are five of the 18. And what we see with Pelagius is, he clearly believed men need to do good things. And he was angry that they were doing bad things. But Pelagius followed the teaching of liberalism that men's hearts are not really bad. They're actually good. And the problem is we have bad examples. But now we've got Jesus and Jesus is the best example. So over here you've got all the people who are bad examples. But then on, your, on this other side you have Jesus and he's a good example. So all you need to do is look at Jesus and do what he did. And then problem solved. Pelagius had the idea that man is basically good. Now, it did not come out this clearly at first or second or third. It took a long time before this actually came out. Because 
Pelagius did not clearly articulate what he believed. It was little phrases, little hints, little phrases. Brothers and sisters, false teachers do not like to tell you clearly what they believe. And is that not difficult? If they would just tell us what we believe, then we'll tell them what we believe, and then we can make a decision. But false teachers aren't interested in playing fair. They're interested in winning because they're empowered by the father of lies. And they can't win by truth, so they're going to lie and be tricky and try to deceive. So Pelagius won't come out clearly and say what he believed. Notice when they have the, the, count, the synod, the meeting over Celestius, the pastor friend, what does Pelagius say? Oh, that guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what he says. Yeah, he's wrong. What about him? Later on, Augustine, who was not at that meeting, said, it seems that all that happened to that meeting is, we all agreed that a bad pastor is bad, but we didn't agree what doctrinal positions were bad. He said, we have to say this doctrine is bad. Anyone who touches that is bad. Don't just say Colestius is bad. Because then Pelagius says, oh, I'm not. Yeah, yeah, Colestius, I don't want to be with him. But you teach the same thing. So eventually these truths came out, or these teachings came out, that Pelagius believes man's heart is good. If you want, you can draw three pictures, little stick figures, one with a man with his thumb up. Write Pelagius under that. Maybe I'll just do it right here for you. Here's Pelagius. Thumb up. That a thumb. There you go. Man is good. There's no problem. We're doing just fine. But Augustine was in the house. And Augustine believed firmly in Ephesians 2 verse 1 that man is how? What is man born as? He's born dead, spiritually. Man is dead. So we've got Augustine saying man is dead in his sin. Man can do nothing without the help of God. And we've got Pelagius saying, come on, go do what's right. And there was a prayer of Augustine that really made Pelagius angry. I'd like to read the prayer to you. It's right here. This book is the Confessions of St. Augustine. 206 pages of a prayer. If you read it straight through, it takes you a little over eight hours to read it. Can you imagine a single prayer for eight hours? At the very end, just a few pages from the end, here's what Augustine says. Listen to these words and tell me if you have a problem with them. And more importantly, tell me where Pelagius would have a problem. Here we go. Ready? Oh God, give what you command and command whatever you wish. That's it. And Pelagius heard that and said, no. What part of that would Pelagius have a problem with? I'll tell it to you again. Here, ready? Oh God. Do you think he had a problem with that? Give what you command. Second part. Command whatever you wish. 
Okay, let's look at the second part. Command whatever you wish. Do you think Pelagius would have a problem with that second part? Command anything you want to command. No, if God is the king, then he can command what he wants to command. But look at that first part. Give what you command. Now you see, that implies something. What is implied in that prayer, give what you command. What's implied is that if he doesn't give it, I can't do it. That's what's implied. And Pelagius said, you're giving an excuse to all those people at Celestius' church. All those guys who come in drunk, drunk, all those guys who are stealing, all those guys who are committing fornication, you're saying to them, hey, I have to get drunk because God hasn't given me the power to stop. That's what Pelagius says. Okay? Now, Augustine says, if God doesn't give you the power, you can't stop getting drunk. God, give what you command and command anything you want. Now, in the two views, Pelagius says, man's doing fine. Man is born good. We've got good hearts. Our only problem is we look back at Adam and we're tempted to do the same things he did. It's our examples. That's the only problem. If we can get away from bad examples, things will go much more smoothly. Bad examples are the problem. Okay? That's what Augustine, or that's what Pelagius says. Can anyone think of a Bible verse that goes against that teaching? Those five points I read, that we did not inherit death or sin or guilt from Adam, that Christ's work is to be a good example for us, that men's problem is they're looking at the wrong example. The problem is not their heart. The problem is the bad examples out there. Can anyone think of a Bible verse that's going to fix that? Tell us, Jeremiah 17, night. The heart is sick and desperately evil. Yeah, Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart of man is deceitful and desperately evil. Who can know it? What about Romans 7? The whole passage from verse 13 down to verse 25. When he says, oh, wretched man that I am. Who can deliver me from the body of this death? What about the verse where it says, Adam, the first Adam stood for all his people, but Christ, the second Adam, had to come to stand for his people. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 15, 21 and 22. Well done. What about Ephesians 2, 1? You are dead in your trespasses and sins. Do you think Pelagius would say to people, you're dead? No, he says, you're not dead. Go, go do it. He told you not to drink. Don't tell me you're dead. Stop your drinking. What about John 15, verse 6? Without me, you can do nothing. nothing. Oh, Pelagius doesn't like that at all. He doesn't like that. Without me, you can do nothing. What about Matthew 5, verse 48? You must be perfect as your Father which is in heaven is. Is that not the clearest example of a command that God gives that none of us can obey? Who can obey that one command? 
Be perfect. Go, go, just go and be perfect in everything, at all times, at all moments, on all issues. Go and be perfect. In your thoughts, in your words, in your actions, go be perfect. And you can't mess up even once. Does anyone honestly think they have the power to do that? And there are many, many other passages like that. Yes, Romans 3, 10 and 11. There is none righteous. Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Yes, almost every book of the Bible teaches that men are dead in their sins or lost in their sins or powerless in their sins. Think of the verses we read already earlier. Titus 3, verse 3. You sometimes were seven things. Foolish. Chasing after worldly lusts. If that's what we were, where where did that come from? These wicked hearts. What about 2 Corinthians 4.4? You quoted, I think, the other day. Said the God of this world has blinded the eyes of those who would believe the gospel of truth so that they cannot believe. Yes, the Bible clearly teaches that we are bound in sin dead in sin, children of sin, given over to sin, in love with our sin. And doesn't your own experience teach you that? Come now, is there anyone in here who's so proud that you'll say, really, I'm not a bad guy. I'm a pretty good guy. And I would be perfect if it wasn't for the bad examples around me. Is there anyone in here so proud as to say that? What a wicked thing to say. Pelagius' view, thankfully, was condemned by the Council of Carthage. Council in North Africa. But it still became popular. Pelagius' view today is the view of non-Christian religions like Islam, Buddhism, secularism, Atheism, theological liberalism, I won't call it Christian liberalism, there's no such thing. Theological liberalism. All those religions follow Pelagius, all of them. That Islam says we're all born good. In fact, did you know Islam teaches we are all born as Muslims? And you are converted, you're moved away from Islam if your parents teach you Christianity. And I, I like to say to Muslims that that's interesting because you and I agree perfectly at this point. You believe all children are born as Muslims and I believe all children are born as children of Satan. That's basically the same thing. <laughs> so we are in 100% agreement. And all that needs to happen now is you, there needs to be a conversion. The view of the world's religions is Pelagianism. Augustine said you're dead. You're lost. You're hopeless. At the Reformation, we saw Augustine's view of humanity triumphing over his view of the church, which we'll see next week when Paul teaches us on Augustine. Next week, he's going to talk more about Augustine. He's an amazing man. But at the Reformation, which is going to come, look, look, we're right here. We're about 400 AD. We've got a thousand years to wait For Augustine's view of mankind to rise up 
and be embodied in Martin Luther. And Martin Luther is going to write books. And that one book I dealt with in the great book series called The Bondage of the Will. Martin Luther is going to write The Bondage of the Will. And that's pure Augustinianism. Pure Augustinianism. And as B.B. Warfield, the Presbyterian scholar, wrote about 400 years later, Warfield said, at the Reformation, we see the victory of Augustine's view of man over Augustine's view of the church. Because next week, we're going to see Augustine had some sad views about the church. He was confused on a lot of things. But when it came to his view of man and grace, Augustine was 100% right. And so what we have here is Pelagian and Augustine. The Augustinian view is man is dead. He must be born again. Life has to come into him. He can't do anything. You're not the man in the, in the ocean saying, oh, someone, I'm going down. Throw me the life preserver or I will die. Right? What's the real picture? Yeah, you're dead, you're chewed up by the sharks, your bones are just at the bottom of the ocean. And then the Spirit of God dives down into the ocean and puts life, Ezekiel 37, life into the dry bones. That's the picture. And isn't it what he says in Ezekiel 16? I said to you when I saw you in your blood, live! Yes, I said to you, live! That's Augustinianism. Or should I say Ezekielianism? It's straight from the Bible over and over. But that's not all in this debate. Because about 10 years after Augustine was born, another man was born. And his name was Cassian. Cassian. C-A-S-S-I-A-N. Cassian. And Cassian came along and said, you guys are right. Let's smash Pelagius. But you know, this whole dead idea, that's a little too much. You know, I don't think dead is the right picture. So Cassian comes along and says, we're dead, but God gives everyone grace to bring them back to just a little bit of life. Okay? God gives everyone grace to give them just a little bit of life. And then at that point, he comes with the second dose of, of the medicine. He says, now, now, I got you. You got your eyes open? Okay, okay, now, here comes the second dose. Do you want it or not? Cassian taught that God gives everyone enough grace. 1,200 years later, it's going to be called prevenient grace. That's the grace that comes at first. Prevenient grace. John Wesley preached this openly when he got angry with George Whitfield. Prevenient grace says God comes to every person. You want me to write that for you? P-R-E-V-E-N-I-E-N-T. Prevenient grace. It means the grace that comes at first. Cassian taught there's a prevenient grace. God comes to every single person in the world and he gives them just enough grace so they're not dead like this anymore. They're only mostly dead. 
but they, their eyes are just open just a little bit. They're so close to being dead. But now he comes with the second dose of grace and he says to the people, okay, now that you're partly awake, do you want to take the rest of the medicine? But here's the important part of Cassian. They can choose whether to throw away the medicine or to take it. And if they choose to throw away the medicine, they go back to being dead. And if they take the medicine, they become fully alive. So let me put this as a crude picture since I'm drawing these stick figures. I know it's not exactly right, but you get the, you get the main point here. He's sick. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to make him look scary here. There's a little guy and he's sick. You see, he's got his hands on his head. Oh, my head. So, so in Cassian's view, man's got a big problem. And it's, it's a really serious problem. But he is able, here's the key word, to cooperate. Prevenient grace, Cassian taught, Gives man the power to cooperate. Put that down in your notes or in your head. Don't ever forget that word. That's the key. With Pelagius, man is great. He's a good man. He has a good heart. We're not bad. We just look at bad examples. With Augustine, man is bad. He's dead. He's lost. He's hopeless. With Cassian, key word, cooperate. God gave him just enough grace that he can open his eyes and say, yo, what's, oh, oh, you want me to, you want to be a Christian? I'm not so sure about that. I don't think I want the second dose of the vaccine. Cassian taught that there's a second step. Today, Cassianism is called semi-Pelagianism. So we've got Pelagianism, Augustinianism and Cassianism or semi-Pelagianism. You want me to write Pelagius up here? Here's Pelagius. Oh, it's in your books there. Was it page 21? Page 25 on the bottom of column two. There's Pelagianism. And then with Cassianism, you can call it semi-Pelagianism. Semi-Pelagianism is the dominant view of the world today. Our world is dominated by people who think, I'm a little bit sick. People out there, we just have to get the medicine to them. You see, the gospel isn't medicine. The gospel is a miracle that takes people from death to life. It's not a second step, well, well let's help you out a little bit. It is the power of God to bring life to dead bodies. It is pictured when Jesus walked to the tomb and said, Lazarus, come out. And people like to say that he said, Lazarus, come out. Because if he didn't say Lazarus, what would have happened? All the dead people would have come back. (laughs) His power is so great, he would have raised all the dead to life. That's the picture. Jesus comes in the gospel and says, Marius, come. 
And when you hear that voice, you come. Cassianism says, long ago when you were born, he put a little spark of grace in you. And this whole time you've been living, you've been mostly dead. And then you've got just enough to say, I I don't think I want to believe that. Or, you know what, maybe I will. Maybe I will believe that if you make it a sweet enough deal for me. We have three views of man. Pelagianism was a battle that was fought in the early church. It is constantly with us today. If you have been in a charismatic church, you have seen semi-Pelagianism or full-blown Pelagianism. Many of the prosperity preachers preach full-blown Pelagianism, which is not even Christian. Semi-Pelagianism is a Christian false teaching. That is, you can be a Christian and still believe in semi-Pelagianism, but it is terribly dangerous. This doctrine has created so many false Christians. You can be a true Christian and believe in semi-Pelagianism or Cassianism, but a great number of false Christians believe in this too. They think salvation, oh, it's nothing. You know, I already had a little bit of grace and I just, yeah, I reached out my hand and took the medicine. And they don't see it as, I was dead, and he gave me life. Questions or comments? Yes, sir, go ahead. 